Welcome to the Gloria Purvis Podcast, where we talk about the issues in the Catholic Church and in society that matter to you and to me. And I'm glad you're here to have that conversation with me. My guest today is Daniel Lipinski. Dan is a political scientist, engineer, and a former congressperson who served eight terms as a U.S. representative for Illinois' 3rd Congressional District from 2005 to 2021. And he's a Catholic. So I wanted to talk to Dan precisely because he's a Catholic politician. And anytime we talk about Catholic politicians, I know what comes to mind. The President Biden and Pope Francis's meeting, as well as the issue of communion. And I want to get his take on all of that. I also wanted to talk to him about President Obama being the first African-American president and whether that was a challenge to the white psyche in America. And I discussed with Dan whether there was a white lash. That's what some people call it. The sectarian backlash to Obama because of his race, because it impacted something of the white psyche in America. What happened there? So we're going to talk about that. And we also take a look at the Democratic Party. Is there a place for Catholics in the party? Dan's very concerned about what's happening to the party. What does this mean for the future of Democrats if they can continue in what he sees as a zero-sum game in politics? And what does that mean for us as the community that's on the receiving end of these zero-sum games? Is this good for us? Is this good for the populace? Is this a part of the common good? Dan recently wrote this article for us at America. Confessions of a Pro-Life Catholic Democrat in a Divided Nation. If we think about sectarianism, at least from my point of view, what I've seen is that it's absolutely toxic to our country and really terrible for us as Catholics. I've seen priests make proclamations that no Democrat can be a Catholic or vice versa, no Catholic can be a Democrat. And I thought, oh, this is, this is not good. It's bad theology, but it's really not good, at least in terms of Catholics understanding other Catholics. It sort of pits us against each other based on political party. And I thought that was a very dangerous thing because no political party is stronger than our baptismal call. No political party is stronger than the effects of baptism on our soul. And so we have to have these conversations to really look at how did we get there? How am maybe I participating in this sectarianism? Am I even aware of it? How do I view political parties vis-a-vis my own identity, then vis-a-vis my faith? And we'll talk about all of this with Dan Lipinski on the show today. The Gloria Purvis Podcast is a production of America Media, and America is committed to hosting very real, honest conversations in the Catholic Church today. These conversations should educate, inspire, and challenge us to think more critically, more faithfully. You know, that's our mission. So if this podcast is meaningful to you, please support it by getting a digital subscription to America. How do you do that? Go to americamagazine.org slash subscribe and sign up today. The link is in the show notes. Stick around. My conversation with Dan Lipinski is up next. Dan, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Oh, it's great to be with you, Gloria. It's good to see you. I know we've seen each other in real life a couple of times, so super excited to have you here. We can really talk about things. But I, I have to start out with this question because I'm like, you're a man of faith. Your father was a politician. 
And after seeing all that, you still decided <laughs> to go into politics. I mean, why? Why? <laughs> well, uh, I could talk for the full podcast about this, but most people wouldn't find that interesting. You know, I tell you, when I went to college, my plan was go to college, go to law school, go into politics, because I always loved government and public policy. Okay. And I often say my first political activism was when I was about 13 years old, and I had a petition that I had people signed asking the Japanese government to stop their fishermen from killing dolphins Ah. when they fish for tuna. Okay. So I was very early on very interested in trying to do what was right and interested in changing policy. So I went to Duke on my PhD in political science and was teaching as a political scientist mm-hmm. at taught Notre Dame, taught University of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And then my father called me and told me that he was retiring. He served 22 years in Congress. And at that moment, for whatever reason, I guess I was moved by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I went to my wife, who we had just you know, gotten married less than a year before that. And she thought she was marrying a political scientist. Oh, and oh, so no. did I. <laughs> right. And for whatever reason, oh, I said, I, I think this is something that I'm being called to do. You know, I, I, it's great teaching and I love doing that. But I have this opportunity to run for Congress and hopefully to win, serve in Congress. And I think that's what God's calling me to do. And my wife said, if that's what you want to do, we should go ahead and and you should run. And that's what I did. It's just a matter of feeling that it was, you know, I was always brought up being taught that we need to serve. And so, especially in high school, I went to Jesuit high school, and they especially emphasize service Mm -hmm. and service to others. And I thought this is a great way to serve. So I changed my mind on that and decided to uh, jump in. I see. Well, you have your good reasons. Had to be a grace because I don't say people could do it. I just don't see how people of faith can actually sustain themselves in it. But you were able to do this from 2005 to 2021. And so you've seen a lot on the inside. You know, we on the outside who are not in office probably don't see a lot of the inside things. So I'm very curious as someone who has knowledge of what it's like being a politician, a knowledge of how messaging and things are going. How did you receive the president meeting the Holy Father and some of the messaging that had come out from the president's office regarding that meeting with the Holy Father? How did you take all of that? Well, unfortunately, there's always a tendency that everyone has to put everyone and everything into one of two camps. You're either on the left or the right, Mm -hmm. Democrat or or Republican. And so uh, there's been an attempt to put Pope Francis into one of those categories. And as Catholics, we don't fit either of those two categories. So the Pope is not a supporter of either American political party. Catholicism transcends that because a lot of the, you know, there are a lot of stories that said before this meeting that the president and Pope Francis are on the same team. There were stories that said exactly that. And then, of course, there's a pushback. No, no, they're not. <laughs> right. Because of the abortion issue, the Pope is essentially saying, without saying it directly, the Pope's a Republican. Right. Why do we do that? And I think it's really important that we do not force Pope Francis, do not force ourselves as Catholics into either of these two 
sides. You know, I've called our partisanship now sectarian. It, it's yeah. a, it used to be you choose a party based on maybe whatever policies you're more interested in, but now it's become an identity for so many people, you know, and it impacts everything in our lives. It, people are choosing sides and they're fighting. They see it as a zero sum game. Yeah. And it's not only infecting our society in general, it's also, I think, infecting the church. And why do you think the sectarianism is so dangerous? Well, it's dangerous because the way our government was set up is purposely set up to try to force deliberation, debate, and compromise. That's why we have separation of powers between a president and Congress. Congress is separated into two chambers. Mm -hmm. And the idea was because we had, even at the beginning of this country, a very diverse country, was to have representatives from across the country come together and state the interests, the opinions of their constituents, and try to come up with the best policy for our country from this vast, diverse country. Now, we have two parties. Basically, people run for Congress, and in my experience, people run for Congress as a member of a party, and they subscribe to a particular policy agenda, every item on that policy agenda. After 16 years in Congress, I lost the Democratic primary mm -hmm. because I didn't agree with every issue right. on the Democratic agenda, abortion being the one that caused the most trouble for some people in my party. Yeah. So now we have two parties who refuse to compromise. They refuse to even debate. And our government does not work that way. So that's the problem for our country as Catholics and in society in general. But I'll speak specifically about Catholics right now. We have to put our faith above everything else, above our, our partisanship. Yes. And not decide, okay, yeah, I know I need to choose one of these two parties, one of these two sides. And so I'm going to choose that side. And then I have to agree with everything. I have right. to change my opinions. I have to change right. my worldview based on the party that I choose. And, and there's political science research that shows that people do this. And also to me, it seems like we start to make an idol out of political party. And then some people even judge, you know, your orthodoxy by what party you're a part of. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> are you kidding me? And it is dangerous that we as Catholics, have sort of end up trying to pledge this complete and total allegiance to one party, even where, you know, we feel like, oh, but we can't really critique that. Or we can't say we want more or this that isn't good or blah, 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 because, you know, loyalty to party above everything else just seems so bizarre to me anyway. And I, I do think it's dangerous for the reasons that you've explained. And also that to me, it just seems like it's bordering on becoming parties are an idol. But the other thing that I was thinking about with this is how can you have any meaningful conversations that actually serve the people if it's always about, well, my party has to win regardless? How do you ever come to any compromises that are good for the people? Um, I would imagine that makes being able to actually operate very difficult. Well, that, you know, a big part of the problem is that Everything is seen as a, a zero-sum game. And you can't... What, what's most important is not what's best for the country oftentimes. Right. It's, well, what's going to help my party in, in the next election? People run for office because there's something that they want to stand for. There's something that they want to fight for. They get in for good reasons. But oftentimes, 
when partisanship is the most important thing, you can start to lose the sense of, well, I'm in this for the common good. Yeah. And you just start thinking, well, I'm in this for the party so that we can get control in the next election. We could do exactly what we want rather than we need to sit down and figure out what's best for the country. And that's going to involve some compromise. So it just is uh, very destructive. And then when you see everything is zero sum, the other side's the enemy. Yeah. Uh, Not just someone who disagrees with you on a particular policy issue. They are the enemy. And as Catholics, again, believing, understanding the dignity of every individual, that does not fit with what we see going on. Well, you know, we'll take social media, for example. And it seems like that's what politics has, has gotten down into. It's just attacking your your opponent for being evil. Well, so let me ask you this, because, you know, I hear all this language that puts people as, you know, these evil people that want to destroy a country. They want to take over. They want to this or that. But one of the things you wrote in your article for America, you talked about political sectarianism rising around 2009, soon after the election of our first Black president, Barack Obama. Do you think his election, like, shook something in the psyche of white America that made them say, you know, we need to have some real changes here. What was it about his election maybe that had this political sectarianism rise up in our country? Well, as uh, going back to my political scientist days, there are multiple factors that were involved in. I think one of them certainly was having our first black president. Mm -hmm. I think for some people, it was unacceptable to them. But there are other things going on at the time that also certainly contributed to it. The Republican Party, the 2008 election, Republicans were beaten very badly. Not only did Barack Obama become president, but the Democrats picked up a lot of seats in the House. I think the Republican Party really went through a lot of trying to figure out who they were going to be. And unfortunately, they decided that they were going to be much more of a sectarian party. Look, a good friend of mine, one of my best friends in Congress, Bob Inglis, is was a Republican representative from South Carolina. And he lost his primary in 2010 because he said that climate change is real and yeah. it is man-made and we should do something about it. And he says that's what lost him the primary. So we, you know, there's multiple reasons we saw a change in that time period. The other thing, it seems like abortion has, as of late, I was saying the last, what, 15, 20 years, maybe it's like this forever, but I'm just in my mind, I'm thinking it seems to have grown more and more contentious. And it seems like something like people want to, where does this politician stand on this one issue? Forget that they might vote, you know, in every other way that I like as well. You know what I mean? But if you vote this way or that way on abortion, you know, that seems to be such a, a litmus test. And the Catholic bishops have stated that abortion is a preeminent priority for Catholics, but we also know that we also are not single-issue voters, but Catholics seem to interpret this in different ways. For you as a Catholic politician, how does this whole thing about abortion and preeminence and not being a single issue, how does this work out for you? How do you interpret that as a Catholic politician? Well, we have Catholic social teaching, which the U.S. bishops have put Catholic social teaching into seven categories. Yes. And the one, and as you said, it says preeminent, is the dignity of individual, which relates directly to protecting life, opposing abortion and capital punishment, 
Yeah. And then other issues, it's a matter of we have to care for the poor. Now, how we do that, it's up for debate, but we can't just say that we don't care about the poor. That's not something, you know, we need to care for the environment. Yeah. Now, how do we do that? We have to have a real debate, real discussion about doing that, but we have to care for the environment. Yeah. And so back in, also in that time where we were, we were talking about, you know, after the 2008 election, 2009, 2010, the Affordable Care Act, Yes. the big issue in abortion became a, a big part of that. And unfortunately, I remember going through these discussions with some of the bishops saying, you know, we have been pushing for years for better health care yes. in America and better health policy. But the insistence of putting funding for abortion in there is a major problem. And it wound up being a big issue that was part of that debate. Unfortunately, in the end, you know, I was one of the Democrats who was trying to get that change, uh, the abortion funding out of that bill. And unfortunately, we did not succeed. But at that time, there were 64 Democrats who voted one quarter of the Democrats in the House, who the first time the bill went through the House voted to say no federal funding for abortion. Mm -hmm. After that, in the 2010 election, many of those Democrats lost, more of them lost in 2012. And after that, we were left with very, very few pro-life Democrats. And that then, the issue became more starkly seen as being Republicans are pro-life, Democrats are pro-choice, and that's it. And that made it much more difficult for me as a Democrat, but I always, people who are pro-life would say, you need to get out of the Democratic Party because yeah. they're pro-choice. Mm -hmm. And I'd say, we need both parties to be pro-life. We cannot give up on the Democratic Party. We'll be back in a minute. So it seems like, at least in Catholic world, you know, it seems like people almost associate orthodoxy with being a Republican and heterodoxy with being a Democrat in some ways. But how can we reel that in? How can we get it back to something more true and not have these kinds of divides among us as Catholics? How might we do that, do you think? Well, Gloria, I wish we had the answer. <laughs> uh, I wish I had the answer for that one. <laughs> yeah. But it's something that we can't just give up. And as Catholics, we have to get back to understanding that we need to be countercultural. Yes. I think we, for a long time in this country, Catholics were trying to fit in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because we weren't accepted in this country. And so Catholics fought so hard to fit in and be accepted as Americans. And unfortunately, we have gotten to a point where we have forgotten that we are Catholics and we need to be Catholic first. And it's difficult. It, yeah. is, it is not easy, but we were never promised. Jesus did not promise that it would be easy. He did, he did not promise that we would be in charge. And we have to remember that. And we cannot believe that politics is going to solve the problem. If we just get involved in politics and we elect the correct people, then everything will be okay. Right. Now, those are, things are important. I think people should be involved. They should be in working to elect the right people, but also realize that is not a solution. That political messianism is not 
what we are called to. Well, also, yeah, this idea that, you know, okay, so I'm not obligated to anything because government's going to handle it all if I put the right guys in there. Yeah, no, that, that doesn't solve it for us as Catholics. And it does make me curious, for as long as you've been in Congress, was there ever any talk about having a Catholic congressional caucus? There was talk about it, but then we ran into issues. A lot of these caucuses in Congress are basically... There are, I don't know how many caucuses, but there, many of them really do nothing except serve as a way to say, oh, I care about this issue. I'm a member of this caucus. Ah, I see. And therefore, there was a discussion about it, but then it became, well, it's just going to be something that people join to prove that they are Catholic. Ah. And that becomes very dangerous. Now, there were Catholics who would get together. At St. Peter's Church, which there's two Catholic churches on Capitol Hill. There's the one on the House side and the one on the Senate side. And St. Peter's is on the House side. And the pastor there about seven or eight years ago started organizing dinners for Catholic members. Mm -hmm. And so that would usually be a bipartisan group of members about every month who would meet and have dinner together. And that was a very good opportunity for people to sit down, members to sit down and and be Catholic and talk about being Catholic as we lived our lives as members of Congress and tried to do the best in following our faith as members. So you heard it here. So there were events for Catholics, Democrats, and Republicans to come together over dinner and I imagine, you know, be able to just be themselves and talk to each other with their shared faith being what brings them together to the table. That's interesting. It's really interesting. So how do you see, if I were to say this, Okay, so I know we're Catholics and we don't believe in fortune telling, but I'm going to ask you to put your fortune teller hat on. <laughs> Since Catholics have historically supported the Democratic Party, right? If you look over time, that's what Catholics have historically done. But now we're divided about what, 50 50? Yeah. 50% Republican, 50% Democrats. Where do you see the Democratic Party going right now? I'm extremely concerned uh, mm. about where the Democratic Party is going. Because of issues, not, not just abortion, because of religious freedom issues are another one. The Democratic Party is becoming more of a party. The people who do not espouse a religious faith, practicing any faith profession. Mm. And I'm concerned a lot of the activists in the Democratic Party are in that camp. And I'm just afraid that the party is drifting further and further away from what it traditionally was. And with so many Catholics, I mean, it was the Catholic Party yeah, for so many years because the Democratic Party really stood up for Catholic immigrants when they came over to this country, especially, you know, working in the steel mills and the stockyards. That was really the one of the bases of the Democratic Party party were Catholics, and they stood up for the Catholic faith. And that is just really being lost more and more, I see, in the Democratic Party. The Republican Party, Donald Trump talked about a lot of serious issues in this country that we need to face, but he didn't offer us serious solutions. There are some Republicans who are saying that they are serious about standing up for workers. I'd love to see that happen, but until that does, I'm certainly not convinced that the Republican Party necessarily is going to be that much more uh, welcoming to the full Catholic social teaching. Yeah. But we'll see where things go. But as you said, 50-50 right now, Democrat, Republican for uh, Catholics. 
And I think, you know, people want, you know, believe in the common good Catholics. Some of us anyway, really do think that this is a good approach to politics, having the common good um, understanding, hopefully a Catholic understanding where we want the individual or communities to flourish. So how might we be able to also discuss without alienating everybody How can we have honest discussions about race, about the impacts of historical decisions on race today, like in terms of disparities and things like that? How can we have these discussions without people feeling as if they have to run to their corner and can't discuss or all we can do is shout? Would you have any suggestions on that? It is just so incredibly difficult right now. I mean, in this issue, the immigration issue is is another one that is we do nothing because both sides you know, very quickly run to their corners. And race is, you know, as you know, has been the most difficult issue in our country's history that we've, yeah. we've needed to face. And right now, I don't think we're really seriously facing it. How we do that, I'm not really sure if perhaps if we see a sense of, you know, we, we have to have people step forward, real leaders step forward who aren't going to just be playing this for the politics. And I don't yes. know where we find, I'm not sure where we find those people. Yeah, you know, we true. go back to the 1960s and certainly Martin Luther King Jr., but he's not the only one. I mean, yeah. he really, he appealed to our Christianity. Yeah. He also appealed to the founding of our country and the promises at the founding of our country. And we don't have anyone who's really gotten much, uh, there's certainly people who are still doing that, Right, But they're not getting the attention. They're not able to really get people to rally around them. But that, that's what we need. Not, again, not throwing out the founding, no matter the flaws. Right. We need to remember the ideals that our country was founded upon. We have to also make sure people you know, continue to appeal to our Christian sense this country of fairness in what real justice is. Yes, real justice. I think that that's something that people struggle with understanding. I think for at least from a Catholic perspective, knowing that justice is what our people do, right? And it does take, I think, some gentleness, I think, in some of this and some forthrightness and gentleness at the same time. But I also think, you know, at the time, Martin Luther King's time, he himself was not well regarded. You know, he was very much attacked. It seems like after he was assassinated, <laughs> at some point, people started to really be able to appreciate, I guess, what he was saying, because now he's much more loved than he was at the time that he was actually active in the civil rights movement and using a Christian ethos to try to appeal to people to do what is right on the issue of race. But you know, I keep wondering, does anybody also want to go with all that kind of attack, all the kind of danger that comes when you try to speak to these issues from a Christian ethos in a way that is encouraging real change or people to come to real grips with how we're acting and operating that may not be comfortable. You know, for a lot of people, it's hard to change how we are doing things, even if somebody makes a moral argument for how we're doing things being wrong. And we understand that with euthanasia. We understand that with abortion and a whole host of things. I mean, people are trying to make the case with climate change, right? that we need to do something different if we're going to preserve our environment for future generations. So it's a hard thing, but we can have hope, I think, around the issue of race that maybe there will be some coming to the table from people with 
patience and forthrightness and uprightness, I think is what it takes also as well in that conversation. But I also want to ask you something else because the issue of communion comes up so much in Catholic politicians. Have any clergy ever approached you about the communion question or talked to you about, oh, you know, maybe you should not receive communion because blah, blah, blah on this political issue? Certainly not nothing with regard to communion. On the issue of immigration reform, during my 16 years in Congress, there was no hotter topic in my district than immigration. Mm. And what do we do with people who are in this country illegally? Mm -hmm. So I heard it from both sides. There were many town hall meetings that I held where I thought a fight was going to break out. I mean, it was that bad. People would just start yelling at each other back probably about six years into my time in Congress. I came out and said, okay, now I've seen what's going on and we just, we need comprehensive immigration reform Mm -hmm. right now. Because I I understand what the issues are about trying to make sure that we do this in the right way. And I think the comprehensive manner is a way to to do it. And, And so I did have priests. Some came at me in town hall meetings, and I did have someone ask for a private meeting, which I think was the was the uh, preferable way to uh, to go about doing it, uh, right. the more appropriate way. But yeah, as a Catholic, I take all this very seriously. Amen. One of the things that you said in your America articles, you talked about, okay, that you lost basically because you stuck to your pro-life principles. And that is important to you as a believing person, as a practicing Catholic. And I would say in the end, really, you didn't lose. You really won because you didn't have to compromise on something that was very important to you. And so to me, that's the big win. And so I want to thank you for your service in Congress. I mean, your time in Congress is over, but your work continues. And so where can people follow you? You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Lipinski 2 And I have a website. DanLipinski.com. And Lipinski is L-I-P-I-N-S-K-I. Thank you so much, Dan Lipinski. You've marvelously fascinating person. So interesting to find out all the things you've done actually before you entered Congress and how you were able to hold on to your faith and your principles and your values and that you want what's best for the country and you're hoping to see us do better and that we can put an end to sectarianism because it's not good for the country and it's certainly not good for us as practicing Catholics to fall prey to that. Thank you so much for joining me on the Gloria Purvis podcast. I truly appreciated speaking with you. Thank you very much, Gloria. Thank you for uh, all the work that you do. I'm so glad you're tuning into the Gloria Purvis podcast and journeying with me through these important and sometimes challenging conversations. Please share this episode with a friend or family member and be sure to subscribe to the Gloria Purvis podcast on your podcast app. Oh, and leave us a review if you can. I would love to hear from you. And by the way, you can follow me on Twitter at Gloria underscore Purvis and on Instagram at I am Gloria Purvis. The Gloria Purvis Podcast is a production of America Media. It's produced by Sebastian Gomes and engineered by Frank Tucson. You can learn more about America Media at americamagazine.org. We'll see you next time.